Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello dear listener and welcome back to Owning It the Anxiety podcast with me your host and author Caroline Foran. If you haven't yet signed up for Owning It Real Time, please take this reminder as your hint to go and do so you won't regret it. It is a situation specific series of audio guides that will help you to own and manage your anxiety and move through the really uncomfortable feelings right as they're happening for you. You will find the link to subscribe in the show notes in the podcast notes the episode details whatever you want to call them and it is a one time flat fee of 10 euro or whatever the equivalent is wherever you are in the world plus taxes and you will never have to pay a penny again. So it is not a recurring subscription, it's a one time payment to access a resource that I know I certainly would have massively benefited from when my anxiety was at its peak. This week I'm talking about a subject I've never really touched on before and that is bipolar. Anxiety can be a huge feature of bipolar. It can be a huge element of being diagnosed with it, living with it, arriving at the point that you think you might be experiencing it and so on. To talk about bipolar, I am so grateful to be joined by Yvonne Keane, a former classmate of mine. We were undergrads together in university. Um at the time I had no idea about what Yvonne was going through and she had no idea of the anxiety I was dealing with because at that time it was just not something you spoke about. We, there was no willingness to be vulnerable since graduating and growing up and becoming parents. We have since reconnected on social media and Yvonne is a long-time listener of Owning It and she reached out to me and we got chatting about her experience and I just said would you consider coming on and talking about it i know it's a really big ask for someone who's maybe not um used to being in the public eye or someone in media or someone who's an expert coming on as a guest in, in an expert capacity but ivan's story is one that i feel anyone with bipolar or who is helping support someone in their life whether it's a friend or family member with bipolar will relate to this and will get great comfort from it and that is my hope um really to normalize the experience of bipolar and uh, to help soothe some of the anxiety that might go along with that around the the social stigma the fear and all of those different things it's a huge topic um i should include a trigger warning we do talk about suicide in this episode and i hope it's something i hope this episode is something that you can comfortably digest um and get something from and that's all i'll say thank you so much 
Yvonne Keane, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It the Anxiety podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so thrilled. It's a really necessary episode. I haven't touched on this before, um, but here we're going to talk about your experience of being diagnosed with bipolar. And for context, I guess I want people to know that we went to college together. We did communications in DCU. You're a photographer. You studied photography when we were in college and now you specialize in it. And now you are a fully fledged photographer out in the world doing amazing things. You're a mother. How old is your little girl? She's six. Yeah. So you got in touch with me on Instagram. We were chatting back and forth about different things and you were telling me about the fact that you had, since I've seen you many years ago, been diagnosed with bipolar. And I said to you, would you be up for chatting about it on the podcast? Because I do think there's so much mystery around it, so much fear around it, so much anxiety around getting a diagnosis like that. And you are, I'm delighted to hear, very, very well at this point in your life. Yeah. But let's go back and give my listeners an insight into what life is like with bipolar and the anxiety that goes along with that. So if you are comfortable can we rewind back in time and can you start by telling me what was going on or when did you think you might be dealing with something a little bit more significant than just a few bad days? So I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 15. I was in school, I was doing my junior search and I started to overthink things basically. You know, first it was kind of, okay, I want to do well in my exams. I know they're not important. Everyone tells me the junior cert does not matter. But, you know, it mattered to me because, you know, just for your own silly little reasons when you're 15, you know, you're so young. Um, but but that actually turned into something. That, that, that So that was, I suppose, back then manifesting in anxiety, um, which in turn manifested into a bit of depression because I was finding it hard to get up I was feeling extremely low I was just getting upset over everything and and it was it was very hard to talk about and explain because you know it was kind of I was 15 I was a teenager you know you know I had everything in life I had a you know fabulous family and I grew up and with everything I needed you know so it was very hard to kind of go oh my god I'm overthinking things or I'm finding this too overwhelming you know so eventually um you know I did speak to my mom and she realized okay there's something a little bit wrong here we need to maybe get a bit of professional help so I went to my we went to work my GP at the time and um the GP was great and she gave me a little bit of medication I took that I'd say for maybe four to six weeks maybe maybe longer I can't remember exactly but it brought me back down it, it brought me back to feeling myself again mm-hmm. and I was absolutely fine you know I did the junior search and I was absolutely fine for a couple of years following on from that I you know did the leaving search did all of that and I ended up doing um law in uh UCD and you know you kind of go into college with all these amazing expectations you have your goals and your dreams you know as a teenager and you feel okay this experience is going to be incredible you know but at the time law just wasn't for me really and I think I kind of on a whim went you know what it could be fun to do law I love English like you know with a bit of an interest in history I think it could be fun to be a barrister or something so um so we make I, these decisions about college with so little awareness of what actually is involved there was all of this going on you know and I kind of to be honest I didn't think I would get into law and I was like wow it would be really cool if I did I'll put it down for the crack and we'll see what happens and I got in and I couldn't believe it and I don't think my family could believe it because 
you know, while I was like kind of academic, um, I was always a bit airy fairy and um, a bit mad, you, you might say. Like I was kind of a bit of a rebellious teenager and um, but nothing, nothing ever worrying, really. It was more kind of Jesus, actually, like, would she, would she be able to do this? Anyway, so I went and I went and did that. I went out to UCD and to be honest, UCD, while it's a brilliant college, it just wasn't for me. We were up in Roebuck. It was like a concrete jungle, I felt. You know, I made friends, but I didn't. Um, I became really overwhelmed because the experience was not what I had expected. And it and that manifested in anxiety, um, which turned into a very deep depression. I did the Christmas exams. I got through them and I did OK. But then after Christmas, everything just came tumbling down around me. I just I I couldn't cope. So I, you know, instead of going over to my lectures, I was driving around Dublin in my little Fiat Punto, you know, avoiding going into college and feeling so overwhelmed and and feeling that I couldn't explain this deep, deep depression that had manifested inside of me. It was really, really hard to explain, to to get understanding for that, because you might say like, oh, I'm feeling low, I'm I'm overwhelmed and and college is just not fun. And, and, you know, and, and, and the reading we had to do and the the academics were were quite difficult for me you know it was just too much and um I it was uh, and I was getting help I think I might have been med- taking medication and I um had been seeing I'd seen a doctor my GP or I can't even remember exactly but none of that was helping and I was just feeling this incredible anxiety and depression and I remember I was working like part-time in the local news agent and you know I'd be in at seven and and I remember it getting to a point where I was like facing customers I was like you know doing the shelves and stuff but it, and I remember so well this man he said to me he was like you know Jesus you're you're so grumpy like why are you working you know if you don't like your job just leave your job you know and it was it was just so much more than that but that was quite poignant to me because I was like oh my goodness I've turned into one of these people I'm you know so so all of that that was really, really tough at that age. I was probably 19 at the time. It was okay though, because I knew that it just, it just became too much. And while I didn't want to be, um, I, you know, I, I was like, okay, God, I'd love to finish the degree, but it wasn't for me, you know, so that was okay. And I, I decided uh, with my parents, even talking to friends and stuff like that, okay, this isn't for you. You always did want to do communications. You had that down in DCU, you know, the one we both did. And um, so I, transferred over to DCU and I had done a J1 the summer before going into um, DCU and I was really unwell for most of my J1 um, that it was the anxiety and depression depression the, the, the anxiety had gone almost at this stage it was just a deep deep depression but uh, you know I was trying to be normal and a normal 19 year old and go do these things and you know go on your J1 and live your life but I was masking a deep, deep depression inside me. And, and I didn't understand it, you know. And at the time, just to to get a sense of what that felt like when you're I mean, I didn't go on my J ones because I my anxiety was too much that I was like, I, when I listened to your podcasts and, and your explanation of what happened to you and how you helped yourself, like I, I was like totally inspired by it. And I was like, wow, if only we both knew what we I had know, both. But at the time, yeah. yeah, I certainly wasn't going to. Um, offer up that information because we didn't know enough about it but depression was not really something that I experienced um it was because I feel like anxiety and depression they're so like well they're two sides of the same coin because for a lot of people they go together when you were on your J1 and you're feeling that that unwell 
what did it physically feel like and what what were the thoughts or the conclusions that you were coming to did you just feel like there's something wrong with me or I just can't enjoy anything what was it like okay so like I'll be I'll be really honest you know um like I was feeling so overwhelmed that I felt like I didn't want to be around anymore you know um and but but like I felt almost like I had to go on this J1 because if I don't I'll be home and I'll be doing nothing and you know my parents can't help me I can't help myself oh my god just go just go on the J1 so I went on it and for the first like two months of the J1 it was about a three-month J1 um you know in Montauk and I was there with my school friends and but we were staying in a place where there was loads of other young people and you know all these people who have the same interests and the same a lot of the same life experiences as you but I, I I couldn't connect to anybody at the beginning for the first two months at all I was too low so I you know I went around and, and I appeared maybe to be okay but I was crying in the shower I was you know um going to my job and just trying to not have to talk to anybody um I was really unwell and it was extremely overwhelming and and there was times of course you know Jay one's like unfortunately our relationship with alcohol in Ireland and mm-hmm. the way you know you you act as a student like of course there was a lot of drinking and you know there were situations that were dangerous and I've talked about this in therapy and stuff um I understand it all now but at the time it was incredibly overwhelming incredibly upsetting I my friends were there and you know they were kind and but but they didn't understand they didn't know how to help me like I didn't know how to help myself you know that way so it was an overwhelming experience like just honestly I mean you're so vulnerable that age anyway like it's just it's such a hard age to be going through anything because we're so conscious of wanting to fit in and be just like everybody else and we're so frightened to be othered and we're so it's there's so much anxiety just existing as a teenager or as a 19 20 year old anyway and then you add in what sounds like something that you couldn't really help no matter what your mindset was you were just prone to these dips was it like you would dip into the depression and you would just stay there and then you'd come out of it and you'd feel okay so what happened for me was the the anxiety started like at the beginning of my journey in UCD for that year and that, that manifested into probably depression in let's say January February you know and it came hard and fast and I was all of a sudden so low that feeling like I didn't want to be around anymore you know but so so there was this extreme low feeling and there would be times when okay I felt I would read an article or I would you know hear somebody talk about something and I'd go oh okay they're okay I'm gonna be okay and you'd have this hope and then but you'd feel a bit better and then the next morning this extreme like deep depression would be back you know so it was terrifying and um now teenagers I see them going through things and like I just want to hug them and and tell them it's going to be okay because it is going to be okay and I'm okay and so what happened at the end I think people started to leave kind of in August and I stayed on a couple of friends my friends left and I stayed on and to be honest um it was yeah and uh we were living in like these shacks basically you know it was hilarious it was great fun for the last month for me or a couple of weeks and you know I started it started to lift naturally because I think I I suddenly came to the realization okay I'm going now to DCU for to a course that I know will suit me I'm people had left so it wasn't as overwhelming in terms of 
talking to people and parties and all of that, like the, you know, all the, the mad drinking and the partying had kind of stopped that was coming to an end. And I was able to kind of just hold my own and know that it, I was going to be okay. And yeah. that I was, you know, going to a course that I would love hopefully. And, you know, it started to lift naturally. And I'd say it started to lift and it lifted naturally within maybe about a six week period maybe but but the depression had been there for quite a, a long few months you know like I had at this stage I was just re- rejecting medication I was like this isn't helping me how am I you know why am I bothering taking this so I I stopped taking the medication I you know we were going on walks like Montauk's really beautiful there's a lot it's 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 beautiful beaches so I kind of brought all of that into to help me with my well-being and you know started to feel myself again and then by the time I was coming home and I was starting in college I felt so much better you know I really did and I was kind of like in my head I didn't understand what had happened I couldn't make sense of how a girl who had you know supposedly everything and who generally would I was quite confident in school like I didn't um for if like when people heard or knew that I had depression like they couldn't believe it you know I just thought you were so outgoing so yeah. confident in college and I mean, that's the front, I guess, we put on. But, it, but also, yeah, well, th- also, that is your personality. Like, you are still that bubbly, confident person in spite of in spite of what you've been through. So take me forward then to when you get towards bipolar territory. Okay, so for me, I suppose, <clears throat> generally as a person, like, I, I love thrill-seeking and I love, um, I seek out that, like, euphoric feeling from, you know, like, when I was a kid, I'd be trying to go on, like, you know, the biggest roller coaster when, you know, I was still only six and, you know, I'd be crying if I wasn't laid on it because I wasn't tall enough. So, so that was within me, that feeling, that euphoric feeling that comes with bipolar. There was probably quite a bit of that in my teens, you know, um, but I never obviously realized, okay, it's, it's a high from bipolar. No, it was never worrying. So it was always just a feeling of like being so happy. Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, started college, started having an amazing experience you know meeting loads of new people being in a course that suited me and I got really involved in society life that was amazing I made some amazing friends like lifelong friends through societies you know um mad into the drama and all of that and that was amazing and then so I did first year to second year with no blips I was fine um and I couldn't believe, okay, oh my God, after suffering this extreme, these extreme lows, um I'm now so happy so it was it's just such a beautiful thing it, within yourself and to be able to go oh my god this is amazing but I still never understood it and it was it was still a thing within me where it's kind of going like what the hell was that you know so anyway what happened was my my friends went on a j1 then my um college pals and I didn't end up going I was meant to go but I didn't end up going because I was in a relationship at the time and he didn't want me to go anyway I stayed in Dublin but I booked a holiday to visit them so for about three weeks over in San Francisco, I think it was maybe in July I was going over. So I was, you know, so excited about this. This was amazing. I was going over to visit my pals. And um, but I had had a long, a, a long and busy year. Like I worked part time um, at the weekends. I had my, you know, college demands. And then I was heavily involved in societies and stuff and, you know, doing a lot of shows and that kind of thing. So while I was thriving doing that, I think it was probably a bit much and then the relationship I was in probably wasn't really a healthy one it wasn't not probably it wasn't you know so um by the time that I was getting on a flight to go over to San Francisco to my friends I suppose I was feeling overwhelmed because you know I knew that this relationship I was in wasn't good 
you know, and while I was in amazing form, I knew that this was in the background and it was it was there. So I didn't sleep on the flight over at all. I missed my connecting flight. I got chatting to a girl in like the airport. We both missed the same flight. So there was a lot of anxiety and panic because I was like, oh, God, my friends are waiting for me at the other end. Got the next flight, got there. Everything was brilliant. Um, my, you know, my friends were amazing. Um, they were like so happy to see me. I was so happy to see them. You know, we'd been through so much in the past two years. And here we were in San Francisco. Like it was incredible. But I didn't sleep for honestly about, I'd say, three or four days. Were you just wired? Wired, but um, feeling very kind of anxious and overwhelmed about my relationship maybe okay. and you know at the time I, I was like oh, it's no big deal but this can be managed we'll we'll come home and we'll sort this out it's fine but I didn't realize that a high had been manifesting through my whole second year of college you know what I mean um yeah like I did like my weight would sometimes fluctuate quite a lot like I lost a lot of weight quite quick and I was I was going around being really busy and probably not getting much sleep and, you know, when I look back, that was all, okay, manifesting in a high. So I got there to San Francisco. I was in the best form of my life, but I was also high. So my friends were concerned. They were like, God, like, why is he gone acting so strange? You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't sleeping. And they, they were like, oh, Jesus, like, okay, here, take a shot. Try to, you know, go asleep. Like, you need to sleep. Like, I'd be like wired, like, just a bit mad. And, you know, that's part of my personality as well, a bit. So at times people are just like, oh, that's just Yvonne, you know? Yeah. But this was something more. And um, and I started to realize and, and, and I copped it when I was over there. I'll never forget it in the little apartment or the little house the girls had rented in Berkeley in San Francisco. I was like, oh, my God, this is high. This is euphoria. And then I clicked it. I was like, oh, my God, I'm bipolar. I know it. And it was a really amazing feeling for me because while I knew that, yes, I'm a bit high and this can get dangerous, I was like, amazing I can help myself now you know so it was an amazing feeling and to be honest um my uncle who sadly passed away um he was bipolar now they called it manic depression back in the day and I could I you know I could I could relate things that were happening to me with him and I was Mm -hmm. like like I knew myself without any diagnosis or talking to psychiatrists or anybody I knew it's like I'm bipolar that is it so I had this I was really happy because I was like, yes, okay, we can figure my life out now. This, you know, I can manage yeah, it. Something to put your finger on, something that makes sense of everything. It started to make sense. And then but but I was like emailing my family back home who were all really worried. They were like, God, like, you know, why is Yvonne acting so strange? Like, what's going on? She's away, but she should be going home. And they were trying to get me on a flight home. And I was like, No, I'm over here having an amazing time. Why would I go home? And I, I think I told them maybe in an email. Oh, hi, mom. I'm bipolar. Isn't it great? Um, having a ball, blah, blah. And, you know, but this was very triggering for her, obviously, you know, um, because, you know, her brother, unfortunately, passed away through, su- you know, by suicide. And, you know, by, back then for those for our the older generation who, you know, these things weren't discussed, they, you know, it's terrifying for them. It's terrifying. And, and while I kind of knew like, oh, God, yeah, like it's it's. I kind of clicked okay this is scary for them but I didn't I didn't really understand the deep worry that they had at that time because for me I was like no this is good like this is really good you know so anyway so you know stayed over there and eventually we (laughs) my last couple of days they were in Vegas and um I was like just fairly high you know what I mean um 
there was I wasn't drinking loads, but we were drinking, of course, you know, we're in Vegas, we're 21, you know, we're living our lives. And but that then my behavior became, you know, odd because I I remember like seeing homeless people and like a homeless man with a Guinness t-shirt, and I was like, oh God, you know, and, and that kind of stuff would upset me quite, you know, quite a lot. So I ended up talking to him and like you know, sitting with his pals and like sitting with, you know, a few homeless men, you're spending my money on them, buying them drinks and, and having a chat. And like, you know, to me, that was really important because I was like, oh, these poor men, maybe I can help them, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, but to my college friends, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, what's, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and I ended up um, missing my flight home from Vegas. And um, I, I didn't realize at the time, but we actually have family in Vegas who who kindly came and collected me from my hotel, brought me to their place in Vegas, minded me, and I got a flight home maybe a day or two later, which at the time was so incredibly helpful. They were so kind and so understanding. And, you know, um, that really helped me in those moments. And I got home and everything was absolutely fine. Um, but I, I was, I went, um, you know, I went and spoke to a psychiatrist and, started to go through the process of being uh, you know diagnosed which was very hard um because what did that involve so it involved you know meeting with the psychiatrist who was you know a highly respected psychiatrist at the time um you know but she basically I think you know they could just see that I was high and that I needed to come down from a high so my behavior wouldn't get any worse you know what I mean now well I felt my behavior was not that bad at the time obviously to those around me it you know they're they're going okay she's sick she's bipolar she's high so this is really worrying this is really dangerous so we need to get her down from the high you know whereas I was feeling really happy I was like wow I'm going to be getting this diagnosis I can help myself you know so I really I felt it very difficult because um they were trying to push meds on me you know it was all about the medication come on you need this medication you need to take this you need to take this and I was kind of going hold on and what's just sorry what's the, the idea is that the medication will just like level it out so you won't be going too high or too low yes so but in that moment I was getting too high like so I talk about highness and how I feel on a scale of you know zero to ten so I'd say at that point I was probably I'd say a six or a seven you know like whereas ten would be really erratic irresponsible worrying behavior whereby you know people can think they can read minds and you know you know you think you can fly so I was getting there potentially if things didn't start to calm down and the medication wasn't taken right so so while I understood that I didn't you know I had a fear of medication because before I felt it hadn't really helped me so I was like oh god like this I don't want to come down from this high and go really low because you know if you don't get the meds right that's what happens you know so so I took this medication I came down from the high within a couple of weeks and you know it was it was really hard because you know I really hit level ground very fast and then the low came and I spent my whole final year not worryingly low but very low small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Did that make you think that the medication wasn't working? Like, was it expected that you would go low or, or did you, were you told that if it worked, you would just come to like an equilibrium? Well, you see, I what was I told? Like I, you know, from a psychiatry point of view, they were like, okay, she needs medication to get level. So we'll get her level. And then that's the, that like that was the most important thing at that time. Like, I don't know if the low was really considered. I felt it wasn't. You know what I mean? I felt I wasn't really listened to, you know, at all. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's just that's nobody's fault. It's it's people are trying to do their best in that time, I think. But for me, I was like, OK, nobody's listening. Like, I don't want to go low. But, you know, and so I did. But that, but that was probably whereby. I wasn't really trusting of the process at that time. I didn't feel that medication was really going to work for me. Um, so there was a lot of things going on, you know, um, and I can't even remember. No, I don't even think I was taking any, you know, antidepressant medication to help the low that I was, you know, experiencing in my final year. Um, so, you know, while, while that was managed, when the diagnosis came, when I was, you know, it was, I was 21 or whatever, it was managed to a point, but it wasn't managed well enough because, you know, maybe I, I'd, I'd probably, when I got that low, I didn't seek the help because I felt like, okay, I'm low, but Jesus, I've been way low, way lower before. So I can manage this. It's fine. But like in hindsight, I really should have gone and talked about feeling that bit of low and got some medication to bring me back to level, you know, to make me function better and, you know, just be that bit happier to be able to actually enjoy my final year. And is it possible I'm just I'm curious you know when I feel like when someone's anxious like they're well aware that they're anxious but when you're in a depressive state or high and you're like you say like if you're in a a dangerous high where you can start to believe things that aren't true or is it possible to even identify that you're in one of these totally yeah yeah I so I've become really good at realizing that I'm high and going okay wow I can feel a bit of euphoria coming on I need to watch this um, you know, so I know that I need to take medication or, you know, I need to scale back. I need to slow down whatever I'm doing. I need to become more grounded in nature. I need to talk to, to my friends and I need, you know, so that's really, really important. Like that's where the holistic you know, therapy and, you know, comes in because I feel that there's a lot of, um, it's all about medication a lot of the time, you know, 
And it's only when you get older and you get wiser that you're like, okay, no, like for me to feel better, I need to do all these things that make me feel good. Like irrespective of being bipolar, you know, it's, it's about minding yourself and having balance and talking about your feelings and being understood you know, sometimes yeah, it's about being listened to. And I find that within the world of mental health in Ireland, I feel um, I feel that people who are suffering perhaps are not listened to. And listening, I feel, is just so important. And, you know, there's um, like for me, um, when I had a high about four years ago, I was feeling really, really good because you know euphoria feels amazing but also really misunderstood and really upset because oh I was in a relationship at the time and you know this guy wasn't my daughter's dad but I I was trying to get through to him and he just didn't understand and you know but but at that point I started to turn to like music and lyrics and I found remember one song I heard I heard and you know everybody knows this song I think Vincent was which was written by Don McLean and it's about Vincent Van Gogh and it's about um talking about his you know it's all about his artistry and sorry sorry nice you know his paintings and but it's about how he was well I feel and I read about it and I remember feeling wow like that's how, kind of how I feel it was about how he was so badly misunderstood within society like he was bipolar he you know he had a lot of problems despite being this incredible artist, which he, you know, he didn't gain any notoriety for that until after he was dead, which was really unfortunate, you know. But I remember that the, the lyrics are, are very poignant. And one of the main things at <laughs> the end of the song, the Ellie Goulding version is so beautiful, by the way. It's, um, you know, perhaps they'll listen now. And another, another lyric within it is um, how you suffered for your sanity. You know what I mean? Like we call people insane, but like, no people aren't insane they're just struggling they need help they need support and they need compassion you know what I mean there's a lot of that compassion is missing you know people we're all human and I feel that's so important within mental health like um the compassion needs to be there what do you feel is I mean bipolar I feel like even people are afraid to talk about it it's it's shrouded in mystery there's fear around it I mean, I know I would be frightened for one of my family members to be diagnosed because because but because I don't know what it should look like. I don't know what the risks are. What do you think people need to know about living with bipolar? What are people getting wrong about it? Okay, well, first of all, the first thing I want to say living with bipolar is it doesn't have to be scary. I'm really okay now. It took a long time for me to be fully okay, but I'm here now and I've lived to tell the tale and I have a really rich life now, you know. Basically, bipolar, you get highs and lows and you get level, you get to places where you're a level ground. And I've lived a lot of my life level, you know, really happy, functioning really well. So like that's very important because that is very possible with bipolar, you know. Now, if it's not treated well or if, you know, you perhaps have a psychiatrist who you feel is just trying to treat you with the meds or they're not listening you know to the full picture the full picture you know that can be hard you know so I feel with bipolar specifically it's very important to treat it holistically like and, and that by that I mean like you need to you need to bring in the, the therapy in terms of like talking and it, it, it doesn't even need 
need to be to a therapist. You just need to be understood by your pals, you know, your your family. And, you know, one good friend, like that's a, that's enough. Like, you know, now obviously having a proper therapist is absolutely brilliant, but it can be hard to find the right therapist, you know, and that's, I think, another thing that can be another struggle within bipolar. Um, so there's, you know, there's the talking therapy, there's the meds, you know, they play a very important part. Um, but there's also you know, your own personal well-being, which you talk about this a lot, Caroline, like, you know, getting your sleep right, if you can, you know, I find grounding myself in nature, if possible, without a phone, without, you know, distraction, really, really, really powerful, you know, and that's helped me a lot over the years, and and, and to be honest, you know, you, you hear when you're younger and stuff, oh, get out into nature, it's so good for you, and all that kind of thing, but it's only what I feel for me when you get older, and when you have more life experience, you kind of go, oh, God, now I see what they're talking about, you know, because when you bring it back to basics, you start to be able to connect with yourself and really understand what do I need right now? You know what I mean? And people will tell you what you need. You know, you'll talk to professionals, but really, at the end of the day, you know yourself best really and you know maybe your mom knows yourself like sometimes my mom she feel she knows me she can you know cop something before I see it you know so that's important as well and um what about the people I mean the people in your life I I just know that mental health is it's so not a solo solitary thing it has to be I mean they say it takes a village with babies I think it takes a village with all of us like we're social beings we need that we depend on that um how could a friend say say go back in college okay back to college time you're going through this you're you're arriving at the diagnosis your friends are like what's going on we're concerned she's behaving this way how can a friend you say I mean you say just being heard and understood but I guess you didn't really understand it yourself then how can a friend or a family member support someone who is bipolar for me the most important thing is listening you know so um there's probably been times when I have been a little bit high and I've been talking. Another another symptom of being high is that you talk a lot. <laughs> you know, your your thoughts are going so fast. You have so much clarity in your life and you're like talking, talking, talking. But that can be overwhelming for people because they're like, why is she talking so fast? What is going on in her head? Blah, 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 blah. But it's really important to listen and just let that person talk. Be, you know, let them get their five minute rant out, whatever it is, and listen and allow them have that space and really listen to what they're saying well it might be you know for some people you talk about the window of tolerance and I know Aoife came on and spoke about that and that that's really powerful because I feel within friendships and within you know families and communities people have different windows of tolerance and what's what's might be difficult for somebody is not difficult for somebody else so if you're going to listen to a friend and to really be there for them you need to understand that what's difficult for them at the moment might seem like you know silly to you because you know it's never been difficult for you or you've never experienced it so it's having that um you know understanding and going okay this is what's hard for this person right now I don't understand it but I'm going to be there for them as as best as I can you know and patience as well a lot of patience is needed for dealing with somebody with bipolar unfortunately um so so that's also really important and and just being present with that person you might not see them for a couple of weeks they might go under the radar you might not hear from you might be worried but sending a text going I know you're going through something right now I'm here I may not understand it, but 
I'm here if you want to talk at all you know what I mean um so so yeah. I feel like just even a simple text like that because the person going through it then knows okay yeah they don't understand it right now but they're at least willing to listen or at least I know they're there and when I come out of this they're still going to be there for me you know what I mean so that's very that's a very powerful thing for somebody going through a high or a low you know um and I'm really really lucky that I have really good friends and a really really supportive family so I'm lucky that I have that you know but some people don't so that's where I worry about people you know um but look there's a lot of hope like th this is a really positive thing um you know people say bipolar like oh it's scary or you know it's great it's a crazy thing or like what's bipolar you know but for me bipolar is a part of who I am you know what I mean it's 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 not scary for me yes it's not something you're suffering with it's part of who you are absolutely okay. and that's so important um you know the, the lows are very very scary they really are they're terrifying because they come on hard and fast and all of a sudden for me anyway, like I can't get out of bed, you know, now I'm, I managed that and I'm hoping this time, like I had a little blip over Christmas where I went a little bit high and, you know, I managed that with my psychiatrist um, and I'm managing it now and I'm feeling really, really well, you know, but I brought in a lot of, um, a lot of the personal well-being tools along with my psychiatrist who listens to what I say, you know, she's amazing. She's an incredible woman. So connecting with her and finding her has been really, really important for my well-being journey. But um, when when you feel kind of grounded and neither high nor low, and you have a really good day, or you have a beautiful moment with your daughter, and you feel like, because life naturally brings euphoric moments to the surface every now and then, do you do you, are you frightened to feel too happy in case it means you're going high? And then do you anticipate anxiously anticipate whether you're going to go high or low? I, I just I can only imagine if I was in that position that I would be permanently fearful until I understood the pattern for myself of when the next wave is going to come like is it a given that that's always going to come well you see that's something unfortunately that I don't know like there has been times when I have been probably euphoric and sorry my cat is coming in here to say hello um <laughs> this is Luna but yeah no there's times when I've been really euphoric and um just feeling happy in life right now there might have been a bit of a bit of high there within you know bipolar but for me it was just like an amazing moment in my life where like I felt so happy that I was like just delighted with life and I would get back to level ground and, and I wouldn't suffer a low you know so there's been many years when I've been like medication free like you know all through my 20s like I don't think I really took any medication you know um but there is definitely since I've got older and since I've you know become a single parent and I've had you know work pressures bills all that kind of stuff you you really need to be well and to deal with all this and be responsible and being a good mom so you know that's when the anxiety comes in and I kind of go oh my god I cannot deal with the low here you know and that that's where the terror comes in and that's where sometimes you know you know you're doing all the right things and you're trying your very very best not to allow this low come on but it comes and it comes hard and fast and it's terrifying you know it really is but like so I, I spent seven weeks in Highfield in 2021 I'd had a very very bad low I was you know worryingly ill I couldn't I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't mind my daughter and I remember the crash my crash at the time beside me they were the Montessori they were absolutely amazing so understanding and I'll never forget you know their kindness and 
my family then were amazing and they got me into Highfield and you know they took my daughter on and they minded her for these seven weeks where I just needed to I needed to have no pressure to be able to start to heal and start to you know take meds that were going to bring me back to level ground and so those seven weeks for me were crucial in getting me better now while I came out and I still I, I wasn't very well but I was a huge amount better because those pressures had been taken off me if you get me um, and yeah. so that was and what's it like when you go in when you go into hospital for that is it just you know you're just chilling out what are you in a are you in a bed what is what does that look like? so I was in a psychiatric unit and I think well so I was in paths before but um you know I I didn't connect with that experience and I didn't come out any better but that anyway that's um you know that's not important now but Highfield was amazing for me because it was a psychiatric unit which was a safe space with other people who were going through similar things you know and um I had my own room and you know we were in this space with a nice shared garden in the middle of it you know it was lovely and you know there was no major pressures you know your meals were made for you you like you 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 saw your psychiatrist and then you know there was a lot of things available like you know there was little workshops on you know keeping yourself well and like personal well-being tools and you know learning more about anxiety and depression and bipolar you know educating yourself like that's really important in your well-being when you do have bipolar like it's so 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 important you know, so I was in a space whereby I was feeling incredibly low. Like I'm, we're talking on a scale of like zero to 10, 10 being in the lowest state you can be in. I was 10, you know, but the pressures were gone. I was able to start to kind of go, okay, like what's going on here? How am I going to get out of this? And, you know, under, like, you know, cause when you're that low and you have like my obviously my daughter was my biggest priority like in my life you know and I actually I got to the point where I couldn't mind her I couldn't parent her anymore so my the fact that my family took that on and so kindly allowed me that space to get better in hospital that was huge and also I made some amazing friends in Highfield and people who go through the same things you know and that's a really beautiful thing because you find people you can actually connect with you know that way and go okay you're experiencing this too like how are you managing what do you do like you know how how do we get ourselves out of this you know and while you're forming these relationships at the time and you know you don't I I'm only realizing now how special those relationships are to me you know and how important they are because you know these are people who are going through the same thing as you so they understand that the listening comes in you know and while I came out of Highfield, it took a long time. I, I spent the first four weeks in Highfield, you know, highly medicated. I was trying to get the meds right with my um, psychiatrist. I was, you know, getting all this, the support holistically and, you know, um, therapy wise, that was all there for me. But I, I found it very hard to connect with any of it really because I was so low. I was I was hopeless, to be honest. I was like, this, this time I'm never getting out of this low. I'm never coming out of it. You know what I mean? And but I needed the, the hope. The hope was given to me there, you know, by my psychiatrist, you know, and while at the time I probably didn't believe things she was saying, I eventually connected with her and realized, okay, no, this is going to be okay. And I came out and I was a lot better. My daughter started in junior infants, you know, um, and that was a really big moment for me. Like, you know, my, my little girl starting in school, that was so special, you know, and um, 
sorry. But no, anyway, okay. no, no. But, so these are all really positive experiences for me, you know. Um, now, I did spend probably the first year out of Highfields up until kind of recently, quite highly medicated, you know. So um, and the meds, while like we you do your best with your psychiatrist to get them right. It's not easy. Like, you know what I mean? You have to find a balance. You have to try different things. Okay, so it's not just like, here's medication. No, take it, oh my it. God. It is so not like that. Unfortunately, it takes a while to get them right. You know, so at that moment, I was very low. They needed to monitor to, to make sure that, okay, we need to bring her up from the low, but we don't want her to go high. So at one point, so I was having these meetings with my psychiatrist, like, you know, probably twice a week. I, I can't remember exactly, but, and we would be monitoring, okay, how's hey the, how, how are you feeling now but it was very hard for me in those moments to monitor how my meds were working or not because I was like in a such a low place that I was like these are just not going to work like why am I bothering like you know you can meds. see light at the end of the tunnel because oh. you're seeing it through the goggles of the low exactly and my previous experiences whereby I never really got a balance with the meds like probably throughout my life I should have always been on meds but I wasn't and I managed fine and but but there was that kind of what, what do you want to call it um resistance not resistance about meds but more uh, skeptic about meds you know what I mean which that has changed now over the last year because I've like wow okay my psychiatrist has listened she's an expert on these meds and, and she really really got that balance right for me and she got me back to level ground and I um you know while I was heavily ma- medicated I still came out and I thrived you know what I mean I was able to work I was able to mind my daughter I probably wasn't fully myself for about a year but you know I'm back to myself now because I trusted the process I allowed you know I trusted my psychiatrist I started to trust the meds and go okay you know these are starting to work and I'm feeling okay you know what I mean and is there is there like I mean I assume there's a level of acceptance required to live with bipolar that it must be so hard I mean anyone would resist it you don't want to have to experience these highs and lows you don't want to be in this situation this is too much for anyone to deal with it's not fair but if you don't accept it you don't get like a grasp on it you know do you feel because it sounded like you were very accepting of it from the get-go when you were like oh this I can make sense of this now yeah no that makes a lot of sense what you're saying and um to be honest though I like I was diagnosed at 15 as depression and I probably had like little mini depressive episodes when I was even younger you know so I knew that that was within me always and I you know I I while I was afraid of it um I totally accepted that from the beginning you know and I totally accept that within myself now like and I feel you know you need to be accepting of it to be able to actually help yourself and get better you know what I mean if I was not accepting of it um you know I wouldn't be able to connect with myself I, I'd be resisting something so much um that I wouldn't be able just creating more tension exactly. creating more anxiety creating more tension and you know so so the accepting it is huge and I honestly think like while bipolar has a name for you know being a very destructive illness it doesn't have to be a destructive illness like I think of it as a gift because I do get these highs and and they bring about like you know periods of intense creativity you know where I I journal a lot I I write a lot I'd be writing poetry and stuff like you know and at the time you know people around you are probably going oh god she's high oh my god she needs to take her meds or 
Yvonne is did you sleep last night and you know like my my you know my mum would worry a lot and like that's totally understandable but while it the, the highs like they do need to be managed but for me it's not scary because I'm like no I can manage this and I'm okay we're okay and this is going to be fine and and to be honest um sometimes managing bipolar is fine <laughs> I, I don't find it hard anymore it's managing people's expectations of you having bipolar like that's a really important one because there's such little understanding of it there's not enough education about it you know um well I really hope that people have will come away from this episode with a little more clarity um before we wrap up I just I think a lot of what you said made me think about the element that I imagine would be such a roadblock in this if you if you had any if you were carrying any kind of self-blame yeah that you could think your way out of it I think to a lesser extent with anxiety people think that they can just think themselves out of anxiety and when it gets into that primal part of your body that's you know driven by fear it's not something you can like logically you can't rationalize it you can't think your way out of it and it sounds like when this happens it's it's such a physiological chemical thing that's oscillating up and down how important or how how would you advise someone begin to get to that point of not it's not your fault that this yeah is happened yeah and I guess if you think that it's your fault that's going to compound it so that's a really 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 hard one um and trying to accept you know perhaps at the beginning of a diagnosis or whatever or you know if you're in the midst of an extremely low de- depressive episode the, the blame on yourself and the self you know the the guilt you feel can be absolutely horrific and it you're dead right like it completely compounds and makes worse the experience for you because while you're feeling all these low feelings or you know very high anxiety you're it's actually becoming worse because you're now worried that or you're you're worried like I shouldn't feel like this why am I feeling like this you know and then you're worrying your family so all of that guilt that that's huge so for me I suppose I've finally come to a place where I'm like okay this isn't my fault. These they, these are feelings within me that I can't, you know, maybe help right now. But it's it's not my fault. And and knowing that your family at the end of the day, like their interests are always, you know, or their intentions are always good. They want the best for you. You know what I mean? Um, and while you feel guilt, perhaps on them at the moment, like I felt huge guilt in Highfield because my family, while they're all busy people, they had to take on my daughter, which you know, now I'm like, okay, they did that out of kindness and they did that because they cared about me so much, but the guilt was still there, you know? So, so it's important to talk about that with the people around you and your feelings of guilt and your feelings of like helplessness and, and allow people, you see, people want to help with this. Sometimes people's help can be channeled in the wrong way or love can be channeled in the wrong way. And I feel that that's a big one for people who are very close to you because, sometimes their <clears throat> their love and their worry comes out to perhaps a person as with bipolar as you know being overbearing you know what I mean where it's it's not it's where they just want the best for you and that's a big one as well to understand so it's like just letting go of all pride and having these really honest and open frank conversations with those closest to you will absolutely really help you in the long run you know um, and that's a huge one. Yeah, that's really, really big. And where 
where would you want to direct people now for more, I guess, more awareness, more resources? I know we talked offline or before we were recording about um, wanting to just highlight the suicide element of this. Um, What do you want to say about that? This is a big one. Like, um, you know, and suicide is hard to talk about. It's hard for, you know, it, it can bring on, it's just so sad, you know, so it is a hard one to talk about but it's a very, very necessary conversation. I don't feel the rates of suicide, I don't know the exact statistics, but I feel suicide is still an absolutely massive epidemic. You know, it's- it's, it's In relation to bipolar? No, not just bipolar, depression in general. Let's, let's, not even depression. Let's just talk about overall mental health and wellbeing. Suicide is there and it needs to be addressed. You know what I mean? At the moment, you know, there's loads of amazing organizations and charities and, you know, there's the public health system, there's the private health system, there, the resources there are to help people. People don't seek them out sometimes because of fear. You know, that's a huge one. So, you know, fear is a big one. I, I think, to be honest, it, it needs to be more openly discussed for people who feel in this way to be able to go, OK, it's OK. I can feel I feel this and I can actually talk about it and I can get help. You know what I mean? Because I I feel like I, from my own experiences and, you know, people who are suicidal, like they're they're getting they've got to a point where they're so overwhelmed with everything around them that they feel they can no longer be alive. You know, and I've been there. And unfortunately, I did have a suicide attempt before I got into Highfield and you know, that was a terrifying experience for, for me and for everyone around me. And, you know, look, I, I was helped and I'm absolutely fine. So I just want to say, like, it's going to be OK. But even and, you know, even the word suicide is, is hard to discuss. And, and it scares people. It's terrifying. It's so sad. But if you can, if you're feeling that way, like you can just try, just tell somebody going, you know, I feel this way. I don't want to be around anymore you know, I'm very overwhelmed. And while that might be scary for that person that you're telling, at least they can then go, okay, this person needs support right now. I can maybe contact, you know, a charity or somewhere that we can get this person some professional help. And then we will deal with all of it. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, if you feel like somebody could be suicidal or they're, you know, they're, they're very low or, you know, that that even could potentially be an option for somebody just having a really safe and um, comforting discussion to tell that person, look, I know you feel hopeless at the moment, you're so low, but you know, we're going to get you the help. The help is there. It really is. But if people find it hard to get that help, you know, there's, you know. I just hope that conversations like this can just continue to normalize. I mean, I've talked about it before with, from an anxiety perspective where I felt so low about the fact that I was so anxious that I thought it would be easier for me not to be here in terms of being like feeling like a burden on everyone else worrying about me okay. I think so, so many people have gotten to that point and we we think of it as something so only you know affects such a, sh- a small number of people and like people have to be in dire straits for it to happen in such severe circumstances but it, you know we're all capable we're all vulnerable we're all capable of feeling those lows like you said are I mean there's no there's there's so many incredible resources out there it's about just having the faith in yourself to trust that people want to help you and will never regret being told that you are not okay and they will never regret helping you um 
and knowing that you matter and like you bring you know with with all that you've been through even though I'm sure at times you felt like you've said in your relationships and stuff it's been too much for other people they needed patience like you bring so much value into the world you bring so much beauty into the world you are I don't doubt the light of your daughter's life you are a gem to your family your friends you know you you are not um a burden on society family or friends or anyone you are and by doing this you're so proactively helping other people maybe in the teenage phase when they didn't understand it and there was so much fear you're making a massive difference by by having this conversation um it's incredibly brave of you to do to put yourself out there and but there is so much strength in your vulnerability and like yeah that's a huge one honestly your greatest it's your superpower to be just accepting of what where you're at and I think everything that you've said has made me realize that you really are like the epitome of it's not that you don't have power over this to sometimes it sometimes it is takes over but you have the power to work with it rather than trying to resist it and work against it and that is like to me that's owning it in, in every way oh my god and- owning it like the name is amazing Caroline because <laughs> that's what you're doing that's what I'm trying to do as well thank you so much to Yvonne Keen for joining me to share her story of bipolar Yvonne Keen Photography is where you will find her on Instagram she's an incredibly professional photographer she is doing so well in her career path and I just I couldn't be happier to see her do well and I couldn't be more grateful to her for sharing with me Uh, so thank you for listening and one last reminder to go and sign up for Owning It Real Time if you have yet to do so thank you Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.